Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. A lot of baseball this week, actually. We have the All-Star Game, which I'm actually recording this before the All-Star Game started, which doesn't really matter. I mean, it's the All-Star Game, whatever. Watch it, enjoy it, have fun. Doesn't really mean anything anymore. Uh, Used to mean whoever had home field advantage or whoever won the All-Star Game, the American League or National League, would get home field advantage in the World Series. That's no longer the case. Obviously, it used to really mean something in the game. Um, only really to a few select players, because obviously not everyone is on a, a championship contending team. But now it's just an exhibition game like every other uh, all-star game and all other sports. So that's going to be on tonight. Home run derby was last night. Pete Alonso beating Trey Mancini in the finals to defend his home run derby crown. Very cool story with Trey Mancini. Obviously, he was diagnosed with cancer. I believe it was stage three. Underwent chemo. Missed some of the season, but he, he's back, healthy, competing in the home run derby. Uh, very cool story on that front. But most importantly, the rest of this episode, we have uh, the Yankees, who I really need to talk about. The Mets, the first place Mets, who don't have a single all-star in the field. Uh, they had DeGrom, he elected not to be in the all-star game. A couple of other people did as well, Altuve and Correa, I believe, even though I hate them. Uh, and I think some some other people, but DeGrom was one of the first, I think, who was just like, I'm going to rest and hang out with my family during the All-Star break. I don't feel like pitching. So uh, outside of him, Taewon Walker was elected as a replacement. Um, I don't know if Stroman got in or not. He might have. He might have. But no position players for the Mets. Lindor paid him $300 plus million, $341 million, whatever it was. Not an All-Star. That's fine. I mean, I don't think Mets fans really care. They're in first place. Uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. just tore his ACL, which is devastating for the Braves. He was my NL MVP pick this year. He was playing really well. The Braves were, as a whole, underperforming, but he was playing pretty well. Um, And obviously a very young, bright star in the MLB. So speedy recovery to him. But we'll go over. We'll start with basketball, the finals. Team USA is an abomination, and then the Yankees disgust me. They just, I, I, every time, uh, verbal meme, verbal meme, The Godfather, Michael Corleone, Al Pacino, part three. Just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. That's me with the Yankees this season. Uh, I, I swore them off, I swore them off. I watched Garrett Cole pitch his masterpiece, and then the following day ends in just complete and utter disgust. Uh, Jason Dominguez. The savior of the Yankees, the Martian as they call him, made his MLB debut in the Futures game. Youngest player ever to do so. He's like 18 years and change. Uh, MLB draft, which inexplicably took place during a finals basketball game because the MLB just can't get it together. Rob Manfred doesn't know what he's doing. So we got all that coming up. And I was going to end the episode with a Black Widow review. I'm actually going to see it after I finished recording this. So I was going to just record it after. But I think what I'm going to do is because Wednesday is the season finale of Loki. I'm going to record Black Widow and then I'll just do a huge, uh, I'll just do a Marvel episode on Friday with season six, uh, episode six, 
season finale of Loki, and then Black Widow on top of it. Black Widow movie review. Maybe I'll even do a MCU ranking. We'll figure it out. But that'll be coming out Friday. Because I have a feeling this episode's going to run a little long. Um, but then again, I said, epi- I said in the beginning of last week, I don't think this episode's going to run that long. It was like close to an hour. So what do I know about time? Um, basketball. The finals. Suns get blown out on Sunday. 120 to 100. They lose to the Bucks. Bucks are trying to make it a series now. Uh, they're back in Milwaukee for these two games. Giannis dropping back-to-back 40-point games. One game they lost, obviously, and then this game, again, he drops another 40-point game. He looks fine. That knee does not seem to be bothering him at all, and he is the single most dominant player on the court. But I think the Suns are just a better overall team. Their defense as a team is better. They have more players contributing on offense. Uh, last game in game three, Devin Booker, I think, shot three of 14. He was horrific. Just just not good. And, you know, everyone else, campaign shot like shit, too. He shot like three of 12 or something like that. He also shot bad, but he's the backup point guard. And granted, when he's on, when he's, on, when he's hot, he is a valuable piece to that team. But he's not necessarily someone they count on to carry the offense. Devin Booker is. So... Jay Crowder was all right. Mikel Bridges was all right. Chris Paul was all right. But Booker was awful. Not really any way you can work your way around that. Like, he just was bad. I think that's a fluke. Um, you, you, I, no, I, if, you're, if you're a Bucks fan, if you're a Bucks player, Devin Booker shooting 3 of 14 every game is not something you should re- really rely on. The Suns are more likely to shoot 20 of 40 from deep than they are to have a a poor shooting performance like they did in game three. So first game in Milwaukee, Milwaukee's been proven to, you know, they, I think they've won every home game that they had. The first game that they have in Milwaukee, I think they've won. So I'm not surprised, but that, by that result, uh, their backs were up against the wall. You can't fake desperation as they say. So Bucks back up against the wall, scrapping, fighting. They get a poor shooting performance from Booker. Things kind of turn up their way. Scott Foster, of course, was the uh, floor official, the crew chief for this game. And that makes, I think, uh, 12 or 13 straight playoff losses for Chris Paul in which games of, that Scott Foster is officiating. This spans his entire career. One of, honestly, the biggest matchups that a lot of people are waiting for throughout Chris Paul's entire career. Him versus Scott Foster in the finals. And here we are. It's not a fluke. Like, once, okay, two's a coincidence, three times. Oh shit, four times is a trend. And, you know, you're on loss number 13 in a row here by, uh, by Chris Paul. When you play in a game, a playoff game with Scott Foster as an official, not even the crew chief, but he was the crew chief this game. It's not a coincidence. Like they just, it, it, it just happens. This is, it's, it's one of those things. And Scott Foster is uh, a guy who is questionable, right? A lot of people, he's like, if you can compare him to more notable officials, I think around for baseball, Joe West. Joe West is a guy 
he thinks the fans are there to see him. I don't necessarily think there are other. Angel Hernandez is a god-awful umpire. Joe West is a much better umpire, but he's, he's a dick. Like, he, he thinks the game's about him. If you try to upstand him, you get in his face, like, he'll toss you no problem. He doesn't care who you are. If you're a role player, if you're uh, a guy who's pinch hitting, if you're a whatever, or if you're the, the best player in the league, he doesn't care. He'll toss you. So Scott Foster is, is cut from that same cloth where he's like head honcho. He knows what's right. Never has to justify his decisions, yada, yada. And him and Chris Paul definitely have beef. So this, uh, the finals right now are the Suns up 2-1. I said in the beginning that this series was going to go 7. Um, I thought it would really be more one for one. But if we go, you know, the Bucks win another game, it's tied 2-2. Then we're right back where we started. So I'm not sure that happens. Uh, I think Devin Booker comes out with a highly efficient game four. I'm thinking 30 points. 12 of 17, 12 of 18 shooting, 3 of 5 from deep, gets to the free throw line. I'm looking for that kind of game from Devin Booker in Game 4 to bounce back from his horrendous shooting performance in Game 3. And Chris Paul's been pretty damn good in every game this uh, this series. So I expect more greatness from him. Aiton gone to foul trouble, of course. He ended with 18 uh, 18-9 on 8 of 11 shooting, but just played 24 minutes and finished the game with five personal fouls. So he was in foul trouble all game, playing at least 10 minutes less than what he usually does. 24 minutes is nothing for him. So it, this is, again, that's like Scott Foster. Hey, let's get, <laughs> there's the whole conspiracy. They put Scott Foster in. They don't want the Suns to go up 3-0. They want to make it a series. Put him as the crew chief. DeAndre Ayton gets into foul trouble. Dario Saric tore his ACL in game one, I think, so he can't replace Aiton. So you got Frank Kaminsky coming in, getting minutes. Not ideal for the Suns, of course. So they're up 2-1. I think they take game four. Some, uh, Bucks get game five, and then the Suns finish it off in six is what this is trending towards, in my opinion. However, should tomorrow night come and the Bucks win, and it's tied up 2-2, then it'll go seven games. I don't think either team wins two more games in a row. First of all, if it's 2-2, I don't think the Bucs win four straight games and, and win in six. That, that is highly unlikely. And then the Suns, I don't think, win another two straight. I just don't think the Bucs. The Bucs would have too much momentum winning two straight to counteract that. So if, it, if the Bucs win and it's tied 2-2, it's going seven. But if the Suns win and they go up 3-1, It'll probably end in six. That's my official prediction. I know um, that's kind of like one of two paths, you know, but here, here we are. That, that, that's what it is. That's what I think is going to happen. Um, my pick is still with the Suns, whether it's in six or seven. I don't think the Bucks win. I'm riding with the Suns. It's what I've been doing. And that's the way I think it plays out on Wednesday night. So by next week, we might. If it goes seven, I don't think we'll have, I don't think I'll be able to, like, I don't think the series would end if it goes seven by the time next Wednesday rolls around. But if it goes six, if the series ends in six, I should be, we should have an answer 
by the time the next episode comes out. Okay, I want to touch upon this quickly. Um, bad thoughts here. Team USA. Uh, Team USA is broken. Just, just straight up, they are, they are not good. They lost to Nigeria. And before I, I start shitting on Team USA, I want to say this. Nigeria and what they did, Mike Brown is the head coach of Nigeria. The starting lineup, KZ Akpala, Josh Akogi, Gabe Vincent, Ike Nuamu, Precious Achua. I think I said his last name right. These are guys, three of them, Akpala, Okogi, and Achua, they're all in the NBA. They're role players. I don't think, uh, KZ Akpala, I think, is a work in progress for Miami. But Okogi and Achua have, get minutes. Um, they're all NBA players. Mike Brown, of course, a vet, uh, he's a, a seasoned NBA head coach. I think he's an assistant right now. But they turned that national team around very, very, very quickly. So you, if you're going to sit here like I'm about to and, and trash Team USA, that's fine. But it's also important to give credit where credit is due. They are a well-coached team. They are, well, they are a fundamentally sound team, and they just played good basketball. Now, as for Team USA, this is an exhibition match, okay? You can put as much stock into it as you want. But the point being is, you blew out Nigeria by 80 points at one point in time. Like nine years ago, but still. 80 points. And now you're losing to them. I think what a lot of players now in the NBA, when they choose to play for Team USA, I don't, I don't think they fully grasp that when you put on a Team USA uniform for basketball, you are expected to go out there and slaughter everyone in your path. It, it is incomprehensible that in the premier basketball league in the world, with the best players being American, most of them being American, it do, it shouldn't, you shouldn't have to have the top five best players in the league be your starting five to win a basketball game against Nigeria, who, whose starting five consists of role players in the NBA. And I'm, gonna try, I'm not trying to diss Nigeria. I'm trying to focus on the fact that Team USA, this Team USA, is not even close to what we've seen in the past. They, they just, the only people who can create their own shot is Lillard and KD. How do you think KD feels? I haven't seen any quotes about that. KD just, they, he was, he's on this team. They lost to Nigeria. He was on the team that beat them by 80 plus as well. So to see that difference, I'm, I'm, did anyone ask him? Was he available for questions? I'm curious because he was on both those teams. So I would like to see what he knows or what he thinks. And just for reference, Nigeria lost by 44 points the last time they played Team USA. And the time before that was 83. So this isn't just of a, a fluke. Like Team USA has history of blowing out Nigeria. They they don't even compete with Team USA. And now you lose 90 to 87. You scored 87 points. 87 points. 
in an exhibition match against Nigeria. You have some of the best players in the NBA on your team. You scored 87 points. And then a couple days later, what happens? You lose to Australia. 91 to 83. Australia. It's pathetic. Like, it is just straight up pathetic. And I want to play a soundbite from Greg Popovich because I love Pop. I, I really do love Greg Popovich. But his response to this reporter's question is, it's terrible. It, it paints him in a really bad light. And I'm going to play everything. You're going to hear the question and then Popovich's response. And I know that Coach has been uh, preaching this about how much better the rest of the world has gotten over the years. Um, but in this being your first Team USA experience uh, in the Olympics, that sort of thing, what's it like for you to have having um, watched your colleagues uh, go through some of these tournaments and, and blow these teams out, and now you are kind of experiencing um, a, a much different, much closer, tougher experience? Let me, let me also answer that question. You know, you asked the same sort of question, the same family of question last time, uh, where you assume things that are not true. When you just mentioned, you know, blowing these teams out, that's never happened. So I don't know where you get that. So, can I finish? Can I finish? Can I finish my statement? Can I, can I finish my statement? When you talk... Are you going to let me finish my statement or not? So you'll be quiet now while I talk, and then I'll listen to you. When you make statements about, in the past, just blowing out these other teams, number one, you give no respect to the other teams. And I talked to you last time about the same thing. We've had very close games against four or five countries in all these tournaments. So the good teams do not get blown out. There are certain games that might happen in one of the tournaments in the World Championship, the Olympics, where somebody gets blown out. But in general, nobody's blowing anybody out for the good teams. So when you make a statement like that, it's like you assume that's what's going on. And that's incorrect. So you hear him saying, can I live? Can I finish? Can I finish? Because the reporter, Popovich, said that's just not true. No one blows anyone out. And the reporter's trying to say, yes, you do. That, that, that's the... Yes. And he's like, oh, let me finish. Let me finish. Uh, this is a, like, that's a bad answer. In my opinion. That, that, is, that is a bad answer. Um, yes, Team USA has had close games with other teams, but they, they don't come until like the gold medal round. They've had close games against Spain, Argentina, maybe even China at some point, if I remember correctly. But I know Spain and Argentina are generally the two teams that historically have given Team USA the biggest bang for their buck. But never in an exhibition game, let alone the Olympics. God forbid what happens if they lose two games in the Olympics. I'll scream. That'll be embarrassing for the United States. Um, if they don't win, if they don't get to at least the gold medal game, it'll be a disgrace. And I, I really don't think I'm hyperbolizing at all when I say that. Um, but to say that, it's disrespectful to say, oh, blowing out teams, blah, blah, blah. It's not. Like, I, I just said, give Nigeria their, their respect. Give them their credit. Mike Brown has done a great job. Everyone on that team has done a great job. They played their asses off. We know this. 
But specifically for Team USA, they've blown Nigeria. The last two times they played Nigeria, they've blown them out. And I guarantee you the last time they played Australia, they blew them out of the water also. So to sit here and say blowouts just don't happen for the good teams is wrong. It's flat out wrong. Uh, so for Popovich to react the way he did, I understand he's kind of like defending his players, going to bat for his players, but it's embarrassing. Not just not his response, even though I don't like it, I wouldn't call it embarrassing, but the performance is embarrassing. You lose to Nigeria and Australia in back-to-back exhibition games. If you're losing to them in games that don't matter, obviously, like okay, you could sit back and say, oh, they don't matter. They're just exhibition games. When the actual Olympics come, they'll, they'll play. How can you be so sure if they're losing in exhibition games? And they, they, won a, they lost a close one tonight, to Nigeria, 90-87, to 87, the final score. They, got, they lost by nine or eight, eight or nine points to Australia. So that's not like, oh, down to the wire. Like Australia, they, they beat them. They beat the brakes off them. They should have. It, it, like. They might as well have won by 20. That was horrible. And if you saw the last possession against Nigeria, I forgot who was holding. Someone, I think it was, might have been Lillard. Someone was holding the ball at the top of the key being closely defended for 10 seconds. Not a single pass. So I don't know what they were trying to run, like a pick off ball stuff, but it just didn't work. And they ended up taking... I don't even think they, uh, they got a shot off. It was horrendous. Horrendous. And this is Team USA basketball. Greg Popovich has lost as many Team USA basketball games in his head coaching career as Krzyzewski did in whatever it was, 30 plus years of coaching Team USA. Popovich has the same amount of losses. That says a lot. And even when USA won bronze, or whatever it was in uh, 04, and then 08 had to come back and be labeled the redeem team because the 04 team was such an embarrassment and disappointment. Even then, I don't think that 04 team lost, I could be wrong, but I don't think they lost exhibition games. If you put this team back in 08, even 2012, I don't even think they get bronze. I really don't. And, and what a lot of these players, they don't have Olympic experience or international experience. A lot of, like, intense international experience. KD's, like, the only one. So FIBA rules are a lot different. It's a lot more physical, especially in the Olympics. They, they, the refs swallow their whistles a lot. It gets more physical. You can grab the ball when it's bouncing on the rim. Um, it's just a different pace and a different style of play. And these guys, it, it just seems like everyone except Lillard and Durant get that, you know, it, it just doesn't seem like anyone get, understands that outside of those two. So I'm, I'm very nervous for Team USA going into the Olympics. I, I would be lying to you if I said I was confident that they would run away with the gold. I, I just really don't think they will. All right, we'll run into baseball now. Uh, the Yankees heading into the All-Star break. Again, just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. Garrett Cole, masterful, complete game shutout of the Astros 
on Saturday. Masterful. Probably his best performance all year. Boone went to go take him out before Jordan Alvarez stepped in, who was the final batter of the game. Cole said, no, this is my game. I'm staying in. You're not taking me out. Boone said, all right, fine. And Cole struck out Alvarez to end the game. One of the most intense and electrifying performances that Cole has had as a Yankee. I think that's really safe to say, especially coming against the Astros. Um, so it, it went, it, it was amazing. It, it went really well. And then the next day, the Yankees come in and I think they blow a 7-3 to three lead in the ninth inning, which included a Jose Altuve three-run walk-off home run to lose 8-7 to seven going into the All-Star break. And that's how the Yankees have gone all season. Um, they, they have really good wins. It was one nothing that game that Cole finished, by the way. The only run coming from a Judge Homer. So the Yankees will have a game like that where they get, they, they get the run and then they have a great pitching performance. And then they come in and they completely, completely fall apart. Chad Green again. Jose Altuve got him again. Earlier in the year, Altuve hit a walk-off homer, or a game-winning home run, I should say, in Yankee Stadium against Chad Green. Same thing here. Three-run homer to win it. Altuve rips his shirt off because Judge did like a little a jersey tuck earlier in the game when he hit a home run. Uh, Sanchez hit a home run, but wasn't enough because the Yankees completely fell apart in the bottom of the ninth. And Altuve ripped his jersey off as to say, see, I'm not wearing a wire, which is like, haha, dude, so funny. Congratulations on not cheating. You kind of just proved that for some reason you were before. And he said, oh, I, I got a new tattoo. Didn't want my, my, my wife to see. The tattoo is on his chest. It's chicken scratch, like writing on his chest. So thanks for kind of proving everyone right on that regard, Altuve. You were wearing some type of buzzer or mic, whatever. Um, you're an idiot and I hate you. That was a horrific way to go into the All-Star break. Horrific. Uh, the Yankees have two All-Stars. Judge and Cole. Judge is batting fourth for the AL. Um, Cole will probably be like the second or third guy out of the pen because Otani's starting, which we will talk about. But they have been a complete and utter disappointment. Nothing, nothing else you could say about it. Like they have been borderline pathetic um, at times. They're eight games. Back of the Red Sox, who are now in first place. Rays are a game and a half back, and Toronto and New York are both tied eight games back. Now, if you look at the Mets, uh, the Yankees are 46 and 43. The Mets are 47 and 40. They have a three and a half game lead over Philly in the NL East. So, very similar records, uh, but very different viewpoints when you're looking at both teams. The Mets are, and, and their fans I know, are being praised first place playing well, have overcome a lot of injuries to still be in the position that they are. And the Yankees, not that many injuries. Like, people get ticked up sometimes, but nothing catastrophic this year. Just straight up offense, underperforming, pitching, inconsistent. And it's it's frustrating. It's frustrating to watch them. Um, now, after this All-Star break, you come out with a three-game series against the Red Sox. All three must-win games. Must-win. 
I think the Yankees are now 0-6 against the Red Sox. I'm pretty sure they got swept in Fenway as well. So they are now 0-6 against the Red Sox, have not won this year. If you go in, God help you if you go in and lose three more games to Boston. I'll, I'll never watch another pitch for the Yankees the rest of the year if they get swept by Boston. I, I, I will make that promise on this podcast. I will not watch the Yankees if they get swept by Boston. I'm done. I'm done watching them. I'll go start talking about the Mets every, every week. But as for the Mets, like I said, Taiwan Walker voted as an all-star replacement. I think, I don't know if Stroman's in it or not, but uh, Alonzo winning the home run derbies, that's fun. Uh, they are in a good position going into the second half of the season. There's a lot to look forward if you're a, if you're a Mets fan. Division leaders, some definitely some surprises. Uh, the NL West, the Giants have 57 wins. They're two games in front of the Dodgers. Padres in the hunt. They're six games back at 53 and 40. So the NL West, I think it's safe to say the best division in baseball. You got a three race, three team race there. Uh, Milwaukee leads the Central. Cincinnati's four games back. Winker and Castellanos, two NL All Star uh, All Star starters for the Reds. The Mets lead the East. Phillies three and a half back. Atlanta's four back, but they just lost Ronald Acuna Jr. with an ACL tear. Houston leads the West. The A's are three and a half back. White Sox lead the Central. That's kind of a runaway. Cleveland's eight games back. And then, as I said, Boston and Tampa, just a game and a half separating them. League leaders, Vladdy Guerrero Jr. leads the league in batting average. 332 with Castellanos behind him at 331 and Frazier at 330. Brantley and Bogarts round out the top five. Otani leads the league in homers with 33. Vlad Jr. at 28. Tatis Jr. at 28. Schwarber, 25, and Gallo, 24, to round out the top five. Runs batted in. Guerrero, again, 73. Devers behind him at 72. He's having a great year, Rafael Devers. Him and Bogarts. Uh, I, I saw this. Doesn't sound true, but I think it was from the MLB Twitter account. Uh, Bogarts and Devers, the first third base shortstop, left side of the infield combo to start for the uh, All-Star game since Jeter and A-Rod back in, like, 2011. So Devers, 72, Otani, 70, Jose Abreu, 66, and Jared Walsh for the Angels at 65. Hits leaders, Frazier, Adam Frazier for Pittsburgh, 115, Castellanos, 111, Trey Turner, 110, Cedric Mullins, 106, and Vlad Jr., 105. Pitching leaders, Julio Urias, 11 wins, Hendricks, Kyle Hendricks for the Cubs, 11 wins. The Cubs have been awful. They, won, they lost 10 straight at one point. Chris Bassett, Oakland, 10. Anthony DiScalfani for San Francisco, 10. And Aaron Saval for Cleveland, 10. Earned run average leaders, DeGrom, 108. Kevin Gosman, 173. Lance Lynn, 199. I remember when he was on the Yankees, he sucked. Now he's really good with the White Sox, of course, as is Sonny Gray with the Reds. Pisses me off. Brandon Woodruff for Milwaukee, 206. That's my birthday. Zach Wheeler for Philly, 226. Save leaders, Mark Melikon for San Diego, 27. Liam Hendricks for Chicago. White Sox, 23. Kenley Jansen, 21. Josh Hader, 21. Craig Kimball, 20. Strikeout leaders, Garrett Cole, 147. DeGrom, 146. Wheeler, 145. Bauer, 137. Freddie Peralta, 135. Who knows if Trevor Bauer is going to play again. The MLB keeps extending his uh, commissioner's list, like exempt list thing. 
for his sexual assault charge and accusation that is going on. Not sure if he'll be coming back, what the MLB is going to decide to do. But that rounds out the major stats across the lead heading into the All-Star break. And of course, the All-Star game starting lineups last night, the Home Run Derby. Shohei Hotani, the number one seed in the Home Run Derby. He lost in the first round to Juan Soto, but the fact that he didn't win is not the point. He competed in the Home Run Derby as the number one seed, and he will now be the starting pitcher for the American League as well as batting first and hitting leadoff as the DH slash pitcher for the American League. An unbelievable year. I did say I was worried about him. Um, I thought the Angels at some point would have to choose. Should he be a pitcher? Should he be a, a DH? I stand by being a DH. You can see the offensive numbers he's putting up, average and home runs for average and power. He's an unbelievable hitter, a good a good pitcher, like definitely above average pitcher. But at some point, I still think, I don't think my worries just because he's having such a tremendous season as a dual player, I don't think that completely, you know, casts aside my concerns. I think I do believe at some point the the Angels are going to have to pick, but right now they have him under a microscope. Uh, microscope. Everywhere he goes, they they know what he's doing. They know his training. They know what he's eating for lunch, breakfast, dinner. Like they have everything he's doing under very close surveillance. So Otani leading off, pitching. <laughs> Vlad Jr. at first, Bogarts at short, Judge and right, Devers at second, or Devers at third, Marcus Simeon at second, Salvador Perez catching behind the plate, and Teoscar Hernandez in left field. So three all-star starters for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, Cedric Mullins rounds it out at center field, batting ninth. For the NL, Fernando Tatis Jr. at short, leading off. Max Muncy, the DH, batting second. Arenado at third. Freddie Freeman at first. Nick Castellanos in right field. Jesse Winker in left. JT Realmuto behind the plate. Brian Reynolds, an all-star for the Pirates. As well as Adam Frazier, the two Pirates, hitting back-to-back eighth and ninth for the NL. Reynolds in center and Frazier at Second. Two really young players, uh, Key Brian Hayes, of course, uh, playing for the Pirates, too. The three real good young players, and the Pirates are a horrendous baseball team. So it sometimes takes more than just a handful of good players. That's starting very soon, the All Star game. I'll watch a little bit of that before I head out to go see Black Widow tonight. But something that is interesting that I also want to talk about before we get into the MLB draft. Actually, we'll, we'll, we'll save this for, for afterwards. Um, Jason Dominguez, the savior of the New York Yankees, the Martian. I mentioned him. He was in the Futures game. Says he wants to be in the MLB within three to four years. I think that's a very generous window. I think he'll be up in two. 20 years old, probably making his MLB debut. He's an outfielder, Yank, uh, center fielder, I believe. Big dude. I mean, this kid's 18 years old, and he is he's a big guy. Like, big legs, calves, arms, chest. He, he's, a, he's a big dude, and he's 18 years old. It's unbelievable. Like, this guy is, some, is 
I think top five in uh, top prospects in all of Major League Baseball just officially got assigned to low A baseball for the Yankees. Hasn't even, this Futures game was the first game, first professional game he's ever played in. His first at bat smoked a line drive, but right to third base. And then I believe his second at bat, he struck out swinging. He's also a switch hitter, by the way, as if he didn't have enough tools on him already. Uh, Super excited for that kid to make his debut. MLB draft was also on Sunday. Like I said, Rob Manfred doesn't know what he's doing, scheduling the MLB draft in the middle of a finals game. No one's watching it or paying attention to it. However, the Mets got real lucky. Uh, Henry Davis, he's a catcher from Louisville. He went first to the Pirates. Jack Leiter, the great Al Leiter's son from Vanderbilt, pumps 100. Righty, he went to Texas. The Rangers got lucky at two, took Jack Leiter. Jackson Job, a pitcher. He went to Detroit. Marcelo Mayer, first high school player. Actually, second high school player. Job is also out of a Heritage Hall uh, school in Oklahoma. He's a pitcher, went to Detroit. Marcelo Mayer, Eastlake High School in California. He's a shortstop, went to the Red Sox. Colton Kowser, Sam Houston out of Texas. Outfielder went to Baltimore. Jordan Lawler, Jesuit College Prep, also in Texas. Shortstop. Went to Arizona. Frank Mazzucato, East Catholic High School in Connecticut. He's a pitcher who went to Kansas City. Fun fact. My girlfriend, who is from Connecticut, we ordered a cake, and we got it from Mazzucato Family Bakery. So family owned a bakery, very popular bakery in Connecticut. Apparently, he's also really good at baseball. (laughs) Benny Montgomery, outfielder, Colorado Rockies at nine. Sam Backman, pitcher. He went to the Angels, Miami University, and at 10, all the way at 10, the Mets somehow land Kumar Rocker, a pitcher out of Vanderbilt. Him and Jack Leiter considered the two of the best pitchers in the country. I thought coming up into this draft, Kumar Rocker was still considered to be uh, ahead of a lot of people on their draft board in front of Jack Leiter, but Texas said nope. Scooped up lighter, second overall, which I thanked them for because I did not want him falling to four against the Red, uh, and land on the Red Sox. That would have really killed me. And Kumar Rocker, I, the Mets got lucky, man. Like, there, there's just, there's nothing else to it. Like, I, I, I can't imagine the Mets thought that he would be there at 10. I can't imagine they planned for him to be there at 10. But he fell all the way down there. It's kind of like uh, Penny Sewell with the Lions. There's no way they thought he was going to drop all the way down to 7 or whatever it was. They got lucky. They just, they just got lucky. Other teams picked other players. And here you are now with uh, a bona fide stud in Kumar Rocker. He was fantastic at Vanderbilt. Um, the third college pitcher to be taken in the top 10. The other, uh, Sam Backman was the pick before from Miami University and Jack Leiter from Vanderbilt. The rest were out of high school for the top 10. Um, As for the Yankees, we're skipping 11 through 19 because whatever. Uh, But Trey Sweeney out of Eastern Illinois, he's a shortstop. Yankees took him at 20. Don't know much about him, but if he can play shortstop, I'm okay with it. And I like his name, Trey Sweeney. Sounds sounds like a a good name for a shortstop. Um, Gives me very much Dansby Swanson kind of vibes, you know? Probably slick with the glove defensive fielder. Hopefully he can hit, but you know anything to 
to to minimize Glaber Torres in in the field. Uh, move him to second. I, I don't know, but we we need the Yankees need a new shortstop because Glaber Torres is not the long term answer defensively at shortstop. So that was the MLB draft. Um, and what I wanted to talk about, which is more a more serious topic, obviously, is Stephen A. Smith. I love Stephen A. Smith. I watch first take a lot. Um, he is, I think, a very educated sports talking head when it comes to basketball. But he gets paid a lot of money from ESPN to talk about basketball and football, as does Max Kellerman and Molly Kiram, honestly. We're going to throw her into the mix the entire show. They're their two primary sports are basketball and football. Now, when it comes to football, I don't think Stephen A. or Max Kellerman know the most about football. Max is a boxing guy, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll take his, yeah, he's known, his best known quote out on that show is him saying he wants Iguodala to take the final shot over Steph Curry, so, uh, and Stephen A. is a, a big basketball guy. Sometimes he, I have questionable takes with him. Um, but for the most part, I respect his basketball opinions. Whenever baseball comes up in that show, it's usually just nonsense. Um, much like hockey, outside of specific shows dedicated to baseball or hockey on certain networks and radio, local radio, New York radio knows a lot about baseball. Um, and other, I assume maybe other radio hosts know a lot about baseball, but for television, for when you're talking for two hours a day on television, you can make a large segment with guests and, uh, you know, recurring guests and other, other things like that storylines. You can live off of football and basketball constantly, just those two sports for a two hour talk show every weekday, whether it's a hypothetical list you want to argue about, off-season things, uh, whatever, questions heading into seasons. Football and basketball is really all you need. But when it comes to baseball, a lot of people don't know what they're talking about. Stephen A. is one of them. And he said that he's not sure it's good for the MLB for Otani to be their number one attraction, which he is right now. He's like the number one interest in baseball. A lot of people are drawn to this dude. He's electric to watch play. Super nice guy. Um, and Stephen A. pretty much, he said, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but he said it's, it might not be a good thing for the, him to be the face of Major League Baseball because he needs an interpreter to under, for people to understand what he's saying. First of all, there have always been Hispanic guys who have played Major League Baseball who need interpreters when giving post-game press conferences does not make them any less likable. So Otani being uh, Japanese doesn't, like, who cares, right? That's like 20 years ago saying that about Ichiro. It's the same thing. It's stupid. It's really stupid. Uh, He issued an apology, says he didn't mean to. He actually had a really, really well-written apology. And I believe him. Like, I believe he didn't mean to upset anyone, but I think... It'll probably be smarter if ESPN just doesn't talk about baseball until the World Series, and maybe even then just mention it in passing and then move along because 
those two guys do not know much about baseball. Just flat out do not know anything about baseball. They don't. So don't make them feign intelligence about a sport that they know nothing about because it's just going to it's going to lead to things like this where they say something stupid and then they have to apologize. Uh ESPN didn't take action on him obviously. He didn't say anything derogatory or racist or anything like that, but it was an insensitive comment. So he apologized. It was an is a well-written apology and it is what it is, but this is what happens when like baseball I think deserves more national media attention. Um, especially on these talk shows, but you need to get guys on there that know what they're talking about when, if you want that. So some shows just, they, they don't know it undisputed on FS1, Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp. They don't know anything about baseball. Stephen A and Max don't know anything about baseball. Um, the guys up, up early in the morning, Nick Wright. And uh, Kevin Wilds, Brandon Marshall, they don't know anything about baseball. Get Up on ESPN, none of those guys know anything about baseball. That's like a basketball-related show. Green, Greeny kind of, Greenberg knows, he knows some baseball, but you know nothing where he can really talk about it with everyone else who's in there. Um, Colin Coward doesn't know anything about baseball. Like, a lot of these guys who are on these on the entire day on these major networks as sports talking heads, they don't know anything about baseball. They're all football, basketball guys. It's the same thing with hockey too, really. And, you know, ESPN now is, they finally got rights back. Um, or I shouldn't say finally. I think they kind of, they, they let an NHL, the NHL walk, but they, they got the NHL back, renegotiated uh, or negotiated a contract to, televised games and playoff games and they're gonna have guys finally guys that I haven't seen on ESPN forever John Butchergrass Steve Levy are coming back to do play-by-play in color for some no probably not color but play-by-play and uh you know host shows or whatever pre-game post-game shows for ESPN they're coming back thank god I love both of them they're huge hockey guys so that'll make it enjoyable to watch for me and hopefully I finally get that that step in the right direction when it comes to following hockey with like a passion. Um, they're coming back. So hopefully ESPN has some actual hockey content in the, in the future. But as for baseball, it's very lackluster. Um, personalities wise, like I love A-Rod. He does Sunday night baseball. Uh, Matt Vaskersian is, is fine. You know, they have great MLB reporters, but none of them are on TV. The only one I ever see who goes on television is Jeff Passan. And he's like, he has stepped up to be ESPN's number one MLB guy. And he's very, very good with breaking news, writing articles, whatever it is. I I enjoy him. I enjoy watching him on TV when he's on TV reporting. But, you know, Buster Olney, Tim Kirkjian, uh, uh, those guys, those older guys, you know, you don't see them on TV that much anymore. So the baseball content has been lackluster from ESPN. Maybe after this whole debacle, ESPN kind of spruces it up a little bit and gets people who actually know about baseball to talk about baseball and not just their two big salary guys that they have on from 10 to 12 every day. All right, I think I'll end it on that note. Um. 
Black Widow, I'm going to package that with Loki episode six. That episode will be out on Friday. So until then, thank you all for listening as always. And I will talk to you on Friday for Loki and Black Widow Review.